You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I wanted to commiserate with women. That's still what I like to do. And like, I feel like the prescriptiveness that we're sometimes looking for, like the life hacks and the pillars and the, you know, everything is can be a useful tool, but sometimes we just need to talk to people who are in the same place as us and feel comforted that what we're going through is totally normal. Hello and welcome to the podcast where we talk about navigating the road to change in the most productive way. I'm Lisa Oz. And I am Jill Herzig. And one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is it has given us both the chance to reconnect with some old friends, some people who we've worked with and known in our past. And today we get to, I get to introduce you to and all of our listeners to an old friend, somebody I worked with in my distant past as an editor at Glamour Magazine, who was a columnist for me. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, and you love since, them. I'm going to love them. Oh, my God. Someone I, I adore and have wonderful history with and just have incredible respect for the work she was doing then, but also the work she's done since just blows me away. So you got to intro our guest. All right. Well, I will, I'm in awe. I'm actually feeling a little intimidated and in the presence of our guest, she is a two-time Emmy Award winner, a three-time Golden Globe winner for shows like Modern Family, Sex and the City. She's written many books, bestsellers, and she is now a director. Um, we are talking about Cindy Shupak. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Hi, hi. I'm intimidated so- by you guys. I was listening to your podcast from the beginning, and I've learned so many great life hacks, and I really started to feel like I don't have enough uh, advice, pillars, points. You don't need (laughs) pillars or points. Whatever you're doing is working magnificently. (laughs) And so we wanted to ask you about this new phase of your life, directing, which is like having another baby. And um, how did you get there? And was this a lifelong dream? And we don't need a hack, just a and okay. by the way, we are both huge fans of your movie, Otherhood, which is coming uh-huh. out August 2nd. Is that right? Yeah, August 2nd on Netflix. Um, Congratulations, well, by the way. 
Thank you. I know it's nice to be able to let some people preview it. Um, You know, it's been such a long journey with that movie. It was, um, well, as far as directing, I have really loved the collaboration I've had with directors as a TV writer because I've been writing television for like 20 years and I've had some really great directors come do episodes of mine and I've been on set with them. So I've been around the process for such a long time, but I've always been a writer collaborating with the director. And I wasn't one of those writers who always thought I wanted to direct, but I will say, I think now in retrospect, that was partly due to so few female role models that were directors Because as I came up, a lot of men who worked on TV shows would eventually ask for in their contract to direct an episode or would go off and do it. And I think there's, you know, there's been a lot of research that women, if there's a job advertised, will feel they need, what is it, like 15 of the 14 qualifications. (laughs) And (laughs) And men will feel they can do it with, you know, three of the 14 qualifications. And so I think in that way, I wasn't really leaning in and imagining myself doing it, but... So you were, I mean, you were kind of overqualified, typical female situation. You were kind of overqualified (laughs) for this. But what made you finally take the leap and reach for this brass ring in a determined way? Um, It was this project, this movie that's coming out on Netflix. Uh, Ten years ago, over ten years ago now, I was hired to rewrite a version of the script that was written by Mark Andrus, who wrote As Good As It Gets, and it was based on a British book, Whatever Makes You Happy. That was the title of the of the movie for a long time. Um, I was hired to rewrite it. I loved the script so much that I really just took the job because I didn't want anyone to make it into something else because it was this beautiful character-based piece about mothers and adult sons, three women whose sons grew up together, and they start feeling kind of marginalized and forgotten and decide to go to New York and make their sons love them again, basically. <laughs> and at the time I got this rewrite, I didn't even have a kid yet. I was, I was, I think, married, but not, not we didn't have Olivia yet. But I really related in just that it was this female friendship and that it was a stage of life where you had to redefine yourself. And in fact, listening to your podcast and Simon Sinek and the why, um, it was interesting because I feel like as women, we do have a lot of stages where we feel like we've lost our identity And in our past, when I was a dating columnist for Glamour, for so long I wrote about dating. I wrote on Sex and the City. And then when I got married, I really felt like my career is over. I don't know. (laughs) I I just thought this is nice Most people are happy when they get married. But Cindy (laughs) felt, you know, my career is over. I've made a terrible mistake. (laughs) That was the big headline. (laughs) And then it took me a while to figure out how to write about dating. I mean, write about marriage in the same way I wrote about dating. My first book was... You know, between the Between Boyfriends book, which is all about dating, and my second book, um, much later, was uh, The Longest Date, Life as a Wife. And that was really adjusting to marriage when you're older. But I, my goal for that book was to try to write about marriage in the same way I wrote about dating, to just be open and honest and funny about it and why do people close ranks. So this movie spoke to me in that same way of just a new stage for women where they had been defining themselves as mothers, even if they had careers and other things. I think you just feel primarily like your raison d'etre is to help bring these kids safely into the world. (laughs) And I think when they, and then when the kids go away and you're an empty nester, suddenly you have the um, luxury of time to look around and say, well, what is the state of my friendships and my marriage and my 
um, relationship with my children that might need to be redefined in my relationship with my um, career. And so I loved that about this movie. So I did the rewrite 10 years ago. I It kind of went into turnaround because it was at Fox Searchlight. The whole movie industry felt like a completely different beast at that point because there was really the big blockbusters or the quirky indies, and there wasn't a lot of room for movies like this that I missed. And um, mostly male directors kind of didn't see it as something I think that they really wanted to commit time to, and there wasn't as much a place in the marketplace, like I said. So for a long time, it just went into turnaround, but the producer who originally hired me and I, we, I never let this movie go. I just kept thinking, when is someone going to make this movie? And I wasn't thinking I would make it. I just was thinking, will it ever come back around and some director will revive it? And then finally, my producer, who was president of Women in Film, said, maybe you should direct it. And I was thinking of taking a directing course, and I wanted to sort of have a film in mind as I was taking it, not as if I'd actually make it, but just have it to filter through the course. And that film was the one I I decided I wanted to do, and then we had a lot of stops and starts, but finally made it. Finally filmed it in New York with um, Angela Bassett and Patricia Arquette and Felicity Huffman. Incredible cast. You mentioned women in Hollywood or women in film, but women in Hollywood in general. It's a lot in the news net right now, and people, it's a conversation. Um, What was your experience like? Because you're a powerful woman in Hollywood, and, and do you have any stories around that? Well, I've, you know, I've been a female in a lot of mostly male writers' rooms. Sex in the City was an aberration and kind of a delight that we were mostly women and um, a few men and just such an open, great room. But I've been, I kind of say, when I first started, I was a little bit like the little sister. <laughs> You're kind of non-threatening. Everyone's giving you advice and um I was single. I feel like now I'm kind of windy in the Lost Boys when I'm a writer's room. <laughs> and I meet these great women writers, and we've joked about, like, why have we never worked together? And it's because, oh, usually only one of us can be in the room at one time. Like, there's usually <laughs> one high-level writer. It's a conspiracy to keep you all separated from one another. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't talk, but we've found each other. Um, but for the most part, I have no complaints. Like, I've had a great career in Hollywood, and I feel like I've been able—my writing has helped me find great jobs. I've worked on shows I've loved. I've worked in great rooms, even when I was one of the only women. Like, Everybody Loves Raymond was a mostly male room, but it was really fun and great people. So— uh, and then, you know, I've probably been hired because I'm a woman in some in a lot of instances because they want a female perspective or someone with this, you know, your experience is the reason you're hired a lot of times. But I will say only until recently, this whole Me Too movement and all this news about the terrible statistics of how few women direct and are in kind of gatekeeper positions, um, I finally felt with this... With directing, because right before I did the movie, I also directed an episode of the show I was working on, which is I'm Dying Up Here, which was had a couple of seasons on Showtime. Um, Great show I, about stand-up comedy. Yes. I could feel myself—I had it in my contract. My husband kind of encouraged me to get it in my contract for the second year that I would direct an episode, and I'd never asked for that before. And he was like, if you want to do your movie, just do this in the meantime. And— I, so I got on my contract, but as the second season approached, I could so feel myself wanting to give them an out, like give these, pre- huh. like wanting to say if this is awkward, because I was so comfortable as a writer. I knew, I just felt like my own nerves. I kept waiting for someone to say, you know what, 
every other director we have has so much more experience. But they didn't really let me, and Showtime particularly had a mandate to have more female directors, as almost everybody does right now. And so it was helpful to them, actually, to have me on the slate and to have me who knew the show very well. Um, so actually, I felt like the difference between trying to kick your way in the door and having someone actually hold the door open and kind of edging you into it <laughs> made a big difference for me. <laughs> and I think after, hopefully, I'll be one of the directors that is sort of a role model for other directors eventually. I mean, so many of my writing friends who are so talented, I've just said, just direct, just try to direct an episode of your show, just not to mitigate what directors do, but we do. We've been around it for so long. When we come back, we want to go more into your personal stories back from the early days in writing. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We've been chatting with Cindy Chupak, the director of the upcoming film, Otherhood. But right now I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about singlehood. Those days in, in your life when you were pretty much experimenting about what the next plot line would be in Sex and the City. That's a nice way of and putting also, it. <laughs> and also, I have to ask you to sort of tell the story of how you you were single, then you were married, and then you were single again. <laughs> yes. That was my biggest U-turn probably of my life. <laughs> I, I, I was married. Yeah, I was single. I married at like 25 to a man who two years later realized he was gay. And um, now that doesn't even seem like a— moment in because every everything's so fluid now. <laughs> I think you know what? <laughs> I, I think it's a moment. 
<laughs> it was a moment for me at the time. It would be a moment for us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was really like a moment where it felt like my life, because we had had a big wedding, all my friends, you know, I did the big white dress. It felt really like I was a failure, like I should have seen this, like he should have seen this. You know, he didn't know yet. It was an interesting—he hadn't been with a man, but felt like he should figure it out. And let's just say if somebody's feeling that way, that that's probably a sign. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it, I felt like anyone who who divorces, I mean, no, who, no matter who's—if there's a fault, you still feel like a failure. Like, it's a very public thing that you have to tell all your friends and family— what's happening. And it was a very hard time. And I felt like it was an end. And then only later when I, because I was single for such a long time after that and dated, and that's when I started writing for you, for Sex in the City. And that became such a big part of my career and who I was. And um, that I, it was kind of a gift that I got to do it over and have that, have this big career. And then I eventually met Ian, who I married, and um, and then we adopted our daughter, Olivia. And there was a big so, St. Bernard in the middle of that somewhere. <laughs> so you got to have a do-over of being single and yes. have all these incredible adventures, a lot of which I have a feeling made their way on, on <laughs> screen in Sex and the City. Um, Played but, much more gracefully to... by Sarah Jessica Parker than me. <laughs> but But just— Stepping back for a second, how did having that blow up of your first marriage and having this sort of public reckoning, how do you think it reshaped you as a person? What was different about you after? I think I realized that I hadn't—not that I didn't love Sam, who I married, but I didn't have a lot of thought and intention. I mean, as much as I wrote in Sex and the City and as as many questions as Carrie asked, I think I didn't ask any of those. (laughs) I didn't really think about what I wanted my life to look like or who I was, what I wanted my career to be, what kind of partners we would be. Like, I think it was just, I was so young to marry and just think this is what it's going to be and then we'll have kids and it was sort of like the narrative that had been written for many many women and I was just diving into it but I think having to stop and really figure out who I was and what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be and what I wanted marriage and my life to look like I mean even I ended up eventually buying a house on my own which I still live in this house in Rena Del Rey I never would have done that. I kind of thought about my mother who, you know, was married very young and is still married and never had that moment. In some ways, that's a gift to be able to take that moment and figure out who you are separate from a man and uh, just kind of create my own identity. So I felt like after that, everything was a question and everything was, you know, it was just, it was sort of wide open in a scary but good way. It feels like... You've used a lot of your life experience, experiences to write. Does it ever interfere with your friendships? Like, are your friends nervous that whatever <laughs> goes down is going to end up on a screen somewhere? So many of my friends are writers. It's more like we're all nervous about who's going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I Wait, that happened. That. I got to go home and write this. <laughs> um, I try. I I don't think my friends are. I think probably men I—you know, when I wrote Between Boyfriends book and when I was writing about dating, I often just use first names of men. And I always try to, in writing about relationships, and this is just the way I think anyway, I'm trying to—I'm the 
antagonist of my story. <laughs> it's not really to take down men in my life who have had been bad dates or whatever. It's more to sort of see patterns and commiserate with other women. So I think that takes the sting out a little bit. And then when I wrote my book about marriage, that was a little tricky writing about the relationship I was and still am hoping to stay in, and also writing about my daughter, who it's kind of tricky, I think, to talk and write about your kids because they want to have their own identity, you know, writing about how she came about. But I I just feel my why, if I have one, has been to try to commiserate and normalize and make relatable these things that so many women go through and just be honest about it, our sort of most embarrassing, strangest <laughs> feelings. And I, the more awkward it is to talk about or the more I have sort of fear of talking about it, the more I feel like that's probably an area that needs to be mined. And maybe this is why female friendship figures hugely in every single thing that you've done. I mean, yeah. it, seems like, it seems like all of your projects, that's the through line, is that, that strong endorsement of the power of female friendship. Yeah. I think when I finally landed, you know, I had been writing for many years on other shows, and then I got on Coach, and then I met Phil Rosenthal and got on Everybody Loves Raymond from Coach. But I finally, Sex and the City was like what I was going through at the time I was going through it. I was 34 when I joined, and that's the age they, the, most of the women were. And it just felt right to be somewhere where I could really write about what everybody I knew and my girlfriends and I were talking about and going through. It sort of opened a door for me that that's, oh, that's the kind of writing I want to keep doing. And Otherhood, actually, um, it, it it's the women in the movie are friends because their kids went to school together. Their three boys went to school together in Poughkeepsie, and now their three boys have moved off to New York. And I've met and made so many good friends through my daughter and in fact, my birthday's coming up, and we're doing a dinner with all our like preschool parent friends, even though she's in second grade now. But you, I feel like That's you make great. this tribe out of what you're going through, <laughs> and those are the people you really need, and, and and they have information you need, and like your podcast, and the I think this stage for women is um, you kind of need your tribe to help you get through it. Yeah, back to otherhood. You're not in that stage of life right now. Your daughter is eight years old. Yes, these I'm are, so late. <laughs> I'm in but, that stage. But the the stories about women who have men who are out of college or sons who are, you know, sons who are out of college. How how do you how did you put yourself in that position so you could really understand what they were going through? Um, you know, I think emotionally I just connect emotionally to characters and to stories and I can usually figure out sort of the kernel of truth that feels relatable to me and feels real. And also just as someone who has a mom and has been an adult child of a mom, I kind of related through the boy's point of view as well. Mm, okay. But yeah, I feel like that moment of identity crisis and reinvention and thinking, you know, who am I now? And uh, even though I'm late to the child game, I'm the same age as these women basically and have, you know, my marriage has been going on a long time. So just the thought, just, you know, kind of figuring out what is the second half of your life going to be. I feel like I can relate to that, even though it's not based completely in an empty nest yet for me. Hmm, I feel like I can relate to that, too. Perhaps it <laughs> yeah. motivated the two of us to do this podcast. I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Second half of life is a big, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big change. Yeah. 
And isn't it, it's so interesting because we really are living longer. So we have, I think, what is basically an extra quarter that didn't used to figure in. I mean, it kind of was like we were supposed to be on the down slope. And now you really can be, you kind of get the chance, I think, to do a do-over. I know there's programs now for people who want to re-educate. Even if you had a successful career, like kind of just deciding what you want to do for the next half so it's sort of an exciting opportunity, but yeah, it's a little daunting to think, oh my God, I'm, I still have half a life to fill. <laughs> what am I going to do with this time? <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk more about what we're going to do with this time. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Before the break, we just touched on this second half of life transition, I think, where we either kind of stagnate or we figure out, we reinvent ourselves so we figure out something new. And so was the directing for you, Cindy, a conscious transformation or did you just kind of fall into it? You know, I would say um, I do feel excited that I did something I was scared of because I was scared and intimidated by it. And it felt good at this age to do something that scared me a bit and to feel like I conquered it and to be, and it opens up a whole new way. I can still work as, as a writer, but I could also direct episodes of shows I love or, you know, write my own movie or direct a movie that I read. So it's just opened up a lot of possibilities. I don't feel like I'm completely changing course and now I'm a director, but it's uh, it's nice to 
A, it's just nice to do something you're scared of and feel like you can do it. And in some ways, yeah. I think I, I needed to be older and more sure-footed and in a way have my daughter because for some reason having a kid makes me feel like nothing is that scary because I'm raising a person. It's <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> sort of like that's the scariest thing I can imagine in the biggest cliff. responsibility. Yeah. 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 <laughs> nothing now, really seems impossible. Now talk a little bit about your journey to motherhood because it it's something you chronicle in The Longest Date. It's not just about marriage. It's also about a struggle with infertility. Talk about mm-hmm. about getting honest on that. Um, well, yeah, The Longest Date was something I wanted to write while I was still in it because we were, you know, I, I married Ian when I was 40. So it shouldn't have been a big surprise that it was hard to have a child. But we, <laughs> but we did go through it all and had to go through every stage. And I had so many friends going through it too. And it's just a very trying thing. It's trying on your marriage the idea that you're trying to have a baby is so mm-hmm. trying. And it's hard to remember. Once you get through it, you almost want to forget it because you just don't ever need all that information again about when you're ovulating or any, <laughs> that, any of the things that drove your life during that time. But also, I think I realized in a way I hadn't that when I'm— I had known women in the past of friends who had had miscarriages, and I think I didn't quite understand the gravity of that and how much grief was involved in that and all your hopes and dreams that you were— about to have a baby. So I felt very connected to a lot of things that women were going through and had gone through. And I wanted to write something that was somehow funny but honest about that time. And so when I started writing that book, I was in the middle of it still. And I find writing about things that I'm still struggling with or still dealing with um, to be better for me. In fact, on Sex in the City, we used to assign stories based on how who was the most afraid of it. <laughs> Whoever had the most issues around it was the perfect writer for it because you really had to sort of struggle through and get to the truth of what your fears were, what your... So that... that well, that sounds journey. like it hurt. <laughs> yeah, like it could hurt a lot. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's interesting because I can see that in Sex and the City and in a lot of other things, and certainly in Otherhood, that all, all this work that you've done, there's a real happy sad. There's a there's a real combination of grieving for something, um, letting go of dreams, reaching for something new, laughing at the absurdity of it all. Um, I don't know. I think yeah. you're I think you're the master of this. <laughs> well, laughing through tears. I you know I was thinking about that because I have to say, like listening to your podcast and just in general in the world, there is a lot of emphasis on happiness. There's a lot of like, how do we find joy? How do we find happiness? How do we? And um. I'm not saying we should go looking for sadness, but I think trying to push it aside or avoid it is, um, is at least for me, missing the point sometimes because there's so much growth and it so balances out the happy and they're so intertwined sometimes for me. And things that are very emotional, there's so much growing there and there's just a lot to unpack always. And anyway, I think... I'm not saying I'm wanting to lead the new movement to find your sadness. <laughs> I don't think that's my role in life. In pursuit of sadness. <laughs> you, find you deal with wine. things that are sad. I mean, you, but you seem, it seems to me that much of your, the body of your work is humorous. You use humor a lot. What yeah. do you think of the, is the role of humor in processing things like, like truth, which involves sadness? Yeah. I mean, that's just my go-to, and I just feel like there's, there is usually, there's just sort of humor and heart 
in most of the world, the way I see it, and I feel like I'm always kind of looking for that or just find it by accident. I don't know if I don't feel very funny today, so maybe people are like, aren't <laughs> Were you, you always funny? funny? Did you grow up being like I wasn't the like funny the class person? clown. It's more like the writing. I mean, I find it in the writing more. Um, or I find humor in when people are telling me stories or something. But I, uh, yeah, I find that to just be so healing. I mean, I feel like humor is the way to get across hard messages and, you know, good. it's just the way to get through it sometimes. And even, I think balancing the humor in the heart is, a. Uh, I mean, that's something I just strive to do because I feel like I don't want it to be just funny and not substantial. And I don't want it to be just earnest and sad without some levity. <laughs> so it's just a yeah. balance I'm trying to I mean, find. You managed to to have some funny light moments in writing about infertility, which is quite a feat. Yeah. Did that help you sort of process? You you then wound up adopting Olivia. Incredible, yes. wonderful so motherhood story. I couldn't um, have imagined any other child now. Um, yeah, it just helped me. Like I even say, it, we had gone through so much. We had gone through it for infertility, IVF, egg donor, uh, when we finally adopted. And I feel like you do. I have friends, sometimes, you know, people who have adopted will say, why don't you just adopt? And you just kind of have to go through your own process of arriving wherever you arrive, I think, about children. But uh, once we started adopting, I felt like uh, it just felt like I could be out at a party drinking wine and having sushi. And it's like, somebody's <laughs> having my baby. <laughs> it felt so comforting. And then and sometimes people say, does the birth mother text or does she call you? And is that weird? And I'm like, she gave us a baby. Like, I think I can manage to have a text. We were in the hospital delivery room when she delivered our child. She's I, like, you know, gets a pass for whatever she whatever she wants to do to contact us. So, yeah, I just feel like, it, yeah, it's helped me. I did want to say something. I was thinking, Jill, when I was thinking of doing this show, because I wrote this column, Dating Dictionary, when you were yeah. at Glamour. Yeah. Um, I learned this important lesson there, which is so interesting because I feel like I'm still learning it. Because I remember for Glamour and for that column, you often wanted a takeaway, like a, yep. what do women, what have we learned? And I felt really like if I knew what I was doing, I would have, uh, you know, <laughs> I'd be married, basically. <laughs> wouldn't be writing this column on Saturday night. <laughs> and it really made me think about why I was resistant to that. And I think because I really saw my mission... I didn't even see it as a mission, but I wanted to commiserate with women. That's still what I like to do. And like, I feel like the prescriptiveness that we're sometimes looking for, like the life hacks and the pillars and the, you know, everything is can be a useful tool, but sometimes we just need to talk to people who are in the same place as us and feel comforted that what we're going through is totally normal. That can be the most healing thing to me. And I felt like that's what I wanted to do with my writing. And that's why I really enjoyed Sex in the City, too, because it was um, it was often, you know, just the four women dicing through, trying to, you know, slice and dice a question. And then you could have all different answers. That There wasn't any one answer. But I did even then start um, kind of keeping my draft of pieces, which I thought about as like my book draft, yeah. even though there was no book yet. And then I sort of eventually put those together. And they weren't that different, but I just knew that I wasn't sure I had the answers. <laughs> yeah. Well, complexity doesn't fit well onto a magazine page. <laughs> yeah. But complexity is what life is. <laughs> do you feel like that's been part of your, uh, sorry, turn the tables on you, part oh, of your journey happy. to do this kind of thing because you wanted more complexity? Or 
Uh, abs- I, I absolutely <laughs> do. I mean, you know me. I'm, I'm yes. still searching for prescriptions. I can't help myself. <laughs> Jill wants you to give us the takeaways. We need the three hacks before we let you leave. I'm so sorry. Yeah. You won't um, actually be able to You didn't uh, think it was coming, but we were, we were being nice. We actually now, now that you're married and have a child, yeah. what are those, da- what were they called? The daily dating 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 dictionary. So give us three dating dictionary tips right now. And the door to the studio has been locked from the outside. I'm so sorry to tell you. (laughs) Oh my god, this is my biggest fear. (laughs) No, to answer your question, I am I am far more tolerant of the mess, and um, far more. I can. I think I've always been willing to share my personal mess, and maybe that's what compelled me to look for answers from other people because mm-hmm. I I certainly felt that everyone could see the sloppy um, right. around me and in my life. And um, so, yeah, I, I but I would say that in this kind of, in my second act, it's more about um, flailing around in this bog with everybody else. Um, uh-huh. And partly this podcast has really, has really helped me with that because nobody we've had on has definitive answers. And it's all about the fluxiness of it all. Yeah, and you sometimes just hear something that speaks to you or, you know, one thing that you want to integrate. It's all sort of tools. Yeah. I, well, well Cindy, welcome to the bog. I've been <laughs> in the bog. It's not so bad. Well, no. we have really enjoyed being in the bog with you, Cindy. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank, thank you for having me. And everybody go check out Cindy's movie coming out uh, August 2nd on Netflix, Otherhood. So good to be with you, Cindy, and so good to be with all of our listeners today. Uh, Thanks to all of you and to Alicia Haywood, our producer. Until next time, everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.